When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Testaverde will take the snap, go to one knee. This game is over. The Jets lock up their first playoff appearance since 1991 on a 21-16 victory over the Miami Dolphins. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Yes, that lion boy's on the right, babe. Yeah. Not that Maggie's back in town. On this Tuesday morning, how are you? How we doing? I'm doing wonderful on this Tuesday morning, 877-337-6666. Let's go. I got you for three hours. You know how it works till 5 o'clock in the warm-up show. We got Chris on the other side. I think Fliegelman's still on a beach somewhere. I don't know. Haven't seen him in a while. Marco, God knows when I'll see him again. But what we will see is the gritty, tough Knicks. How about that? Turnabout is fair play, baby. I mean, that the end of that game. The end of the Nick game last night. I mean, after, you know, obviously, we're still waiting. I don't think we've heard anything. I looked into it, obviously. I haven't heard anything about the protest of the game against Houston last week. But, man, did the Knicks catch a break last night. Uh, if you haven't seen it, they beat the lousy, worst team in the NBA, Detroit Pistons, 113-111. And this group, I mean, listen, they are struggling right now. We know it. They are beat down. They are, they are, you know, carrying uh, a walking wounded right now. They're missing OG. They're missing, uh, you know, Randall really, you know, terribly. And they're not nearly the team that went on that incredible run uh, as soon as they made the OG and an OB trade in January. And they're really fighting to stay inside this playoff picture and to be where they are. They're getting blown out by the likes of the Celtics. They figure out a way to beat Philadelphia who's dealing with their own injuries, obviously. And tonight in a game that you figured they would have a, a little bit of an easy time against the worst team in the NBA, it is a knock them out, drag them out, fight to the bitter end where, let's be honest, they catch a complete break. That's okay. They're allowed to catch breaks. But the NBA has already come out and ruled it a foul. If you haven't seen the last 14 seconds of this game, go check it out. It's on Twitter. It's, it's quite interesting. I mean, obviously, what they've done here. I mean, you listen to that the last four game, the the last fourteen seconds here. The ball, uh, it's if you watch it, they're down a point, one eleven, one ten, and the Knicks have the possession. Uh, I'm losing my mind. Brunson puts up a three point shot, misses it. The rebound goes all over the place. The Pistons have it. They get. I thought you could argue it gets fouled right there, knocking the ball out of the rebounder's hands. Then it gets back to DiVincenzo, who inexplicably throws the ball away. Throws the ball away. And then as Thompson of the Detroit Pistons starts to take it up the field, he uh, take it up the field, take it up the court, he literally dives at him and takes his legs out. And the referee's standing right there. Actually, let's hear the call. If you can hear the call. The referee is standing right there as DiVincenzo dives at his legs. I cannot believe they didn't call a foul on this. They get the rebound. Brunson gets it, throws it down to Hart, who puts it back in and one. Knicks win the game. We'll hear the call first, and then we'll get to the take on the game. Go ahead. Let's hear this call. Brunson, three-pointer. Off the mark. Rebound deflected. Chased down. Saved by Grimes to Fontecchio. Knocked away. Hardenstein picks it up. Out to DiVincenzo. Ten seconds to go. He throws it away. Ball loose. Picked up by Brunson. Brunson inside the heart. Hearts banks it in. And a foul. Knicks take the lead. Monty Williams is furious. Yeah. He thought a foul should have been called. There was so much contact. <laughs> Josh Hart with the big bucket. And a free throw coming up. Yeah, there certainly was, and he certainly was. And after the game, he just absolutely laid into the refs and then walked out. 
And it is. It's a terrible call. It's. It, you could argue it's worse than the Brunson call against the Rockets a few weeks ago for the Knicks. That's how bad it is. One, I think you could argue uh, when the ball's knocked out of uh, the rebounder's hand uh, earlier in the possession that you could argue that's a foul before it even gets back to DiVincenzo when he throws it away to Thompson. And then he clearly dives at his legs. But you know what? The, gr- the gritty, tough Knicks who are battling right now catch a break. They catch a break. They're entitled to catch breaks. They work their ass off. You know how they play. And really, what you take from this is the guys who step up. And tonight was Josh Hart, right? And what they've done here, the big villain over three in Brunson, Hart, and DiVincenzo, and the way they've stepped up for this team over the last few weeks dealing with these injuries of of OG Ananobi and Randall and even, you know, uh, Mitchell Robinson, if you want to include him on this. But tonight was Hart's turn. And Hart was incredible in this game. He's got 23 points, 3 for 5 from 3-point shooting. He talked about wanting to improve his 3-point shot this this year. Remember the beginning of the season, he was unhappy with his playing time. There was talks about, you know, he wanted to improve his 3-point shooting, be more relevant into this team. And right now, forget just being someone who steps in. Forget someone who needs to be there in the big moments, uh, you know, and and be that guy who rallies the the troops, the guy who, you know, could take it from one quarter of the one side of the court to the other, the guy who can give you impact minutes when you need a little bit of energy, when you need a little bit of fight, when you need a little bit of rebounding, when you need someone to dive for loose balls, which we saw the Knicks do all night long. Brun, uh, you know, Brunson at a moment here where he was diving for a loose ball, ball. They are they are doing everything they can right now. To try and I mean they're they're it's a knock them out drag them out effort to beat the Detroit Pistons. That's where the Knicks are right now, and we talked about this and what this stretch is going to be. As you look at you know they got the Pel- Pelicans coming up, they got uh, the Go- the Golden State Warriors coming up. They got then they go on the you know they got uh, the Pelicans Warriors at Cleveland Hawks Magic who they get to beat this year. Back-to-back games against the Sixers at the Garden, and then they go on a West Coast trip against the Trailblazers, the Kings, the Warriors, the Nuggets before returning home to face the Nets. I mean, I'm hoping and hopeful that OG Ananobi might be back for that West Coast run, but right now this is the team, and this is the team that's going to have to try and float above water and keep their heads above water as they are what they are. And guys like Hart no longer are just these little add-on pieces. They are, and he is, a key member of this team. And whether it was DiVincenzo early, as soon as the uh, OG injury happened, it was DiVincenzo, right? He stepped in. He was shooting crazy threes. I saw the stat today as I'm watching the game. He's got the third most threes in the NBA behind uh, Curry and Luka. The third most threes in the NBA. And that's changed since the, I mean, that's really been since the OG Ananobi trade. I would imagine uh, the OG Ananobi injury, I would imagine he took over. And he's kind of come down to earth a little bit, still, you know, gives you good performances. He played well in this game. He's played well in some other games, but he really, he was the first one to step up. And now you're seeing jo- Josh, now you're seeing Hart step up and be that guy who comes through in the clutch. Eight rebounds, six assists, 23 points, three for five. Obviously, key down the stretch of this game. Him and uh, Achua, who's been another guy who stepped in and has been unbelievable. He has a huge block defensively in the key moments. And, you know, it's funny, going into the game, you know, Grimes is going to be a part of it, right? You know, he's going to be these former Knicks. Fournier is is a part of the Pistons team now uh, after that trade for Bogdanovich and Burks. And Grimes scores 14 points all in the fourth quarter, leading the Detroit Pistons back into this game to take the first lead uh, since early on in the first quarter. And this Nick team looked like they were going to let a game slip away that you can't let slip away. I mean, that's the takeaway from this game. I know the the the, the foul call is going to be a discussion point. They're going to, you know, that's gonna, Monty Williams' reaction to it. The idea of the Knicks getting the the break as opposed to not having the break a couple weeks ago. It's a bad day for the everybody's against the Knicks crowd, and, the, and the, the referees are out to bring the Knicks down. It's a rough night for those people. But, I mean, that's going to be the story. But the story is the Knicks let, did not let a game they can't afford. You can't afford to lose to the Pistons right now. I understand the team is at half strength. I understand when you go to play the Celtics, you're not going to win that game. That's a tough game to win, right? Right now, they are not ready to take on the Boston Celtics, even healthy. I don't know if they're ready to take on the Boston Celtics. But certainly where they are, they're not ready for those kinds of games. They're not ready for that kind of opponent. 
So you understand that game. You understand it's going to be tough. Pelicans are uh, you know, a pretty good team in the playoff picture in the Western Conference. Not going to be an easy game. And not that any game in the NBA is easy, but you can't lose to the worst team in the NBA in this stretch right now at home. You can't lose that game. And Hart and Achua and all these guys, and obviously we know how important Brunson is, but all these guys step up. It's it's amazing what they've done. The thing that's, you know, and and as you're going through it, like the the thing about this team and what changed in, in January is when they make the OG trade, right? And it solidified the team and it instantly changed who they were. Instantly. And right now, as they're going through, I mean, it was it was as soon as he was on the field. Uh, I keep saying field. As soon as he's on the court. We heard Randall after the game. Listen, it's after that first game, they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in that first game with OG. And it's like, you know, well, we're going to miss. We're going to miss quickly. We're going to miss uh, RJ. You know, those guys were my brothers. And they didn't miss him at all. Like, instantly. OG solidified all the rules. DiVincenzo stepped in and, and fit perfectly in the first unit. All the role players solidified their roles. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the team went on this incredible run. And... This most recent trade with the Pistons has been different. Bogdanovich has not been able to step up and be the same player he was with Detroit earlier in the season. He's been someone who's adjusting to a new role. Same thing for Burks. It's taking time. These guys are imperative. When the trade was made, you knew they were going to be imperative because you knew the injuries. And it's not only trying to get better role players for when the Knicks do eventually get back and become healthy. It's to stem the tide right now. And you're seeing Bogdanovich 13 points, you know, three from eight from the three-point line wasn't uh, wasn't terrible in this game, but he needs to be relied on to score more. Burke, seven points in this game. One for three from downtown. Like, he's got to be, those guys are going to be needed to be relied on more than what they've given him because you can't just rely night in and night out on the villain over three. And right now, those, that plus Achua and Hartenstein, I mean, they need everything they can give you. And you got to have Brunson play 40 minutes a night, 40-plus minutes a night, just to get past the Pistons. So, yes, it's a big win. Yes, Josh Hart's amazing. Yes, this team has fight. Yes, this team fights and claws and deserve the break. Absolutely. They deserve this break. And the referees already come out and said it absolutely should have been a, a, a foul. There's no doubt about it. We could say, like, it happens. And then we're the same crew, we're the same guys who was screaming about the Brunson foul. Screaming about the Brunson foul against Houston. That's how it works. But the Knicks deserve this break. They earned this break. And they were able to fight off the Detroit Pistons and fight off Grimes, who looked like he was trying to make a, I mean, make a point in the fourth quarter. Whether it was the three-point shooting, whether it was getting to the basket for a, uh, a lay-in right at the end of the game to give them the lead there. I mean, he, was, he seemed determined. And good for him. He had a good night. He had a good fourth quarter in the in his former home uh, in the Garden. It was a, an impressive performance for him late down the stretch. But this team, they are going to struggle. We know it. We know this is coming. And they could not afford to lose that game last night. And whether it was Brunson, whether it was Randall, whether it's a Chua with the big block, whether it's DiVincenzo hitting threes, even Bogdanovich hit one in particular, a big corner three, uh, you know, right off a pass, it looked like it looked uncomfortable for him. He still managed to make the shot, but this is the team they have right now. And if you look at it, they are going to have to get more from Bogdanovich, and they're going to have to get more from Burks. That trade has got to start f- changing the team and impacting this group a little bit more as they move forward. Because I love Hart, I do. I don't know if you can count on him for 23 points, eight rebounds, and six assists, three from five, three for five from downtown on a nightly basis. I don't know if you can count on him for that. And DiVincenzo, who's been lights out since the OG injury, I don't know if you can count on him being, you know, every night this big score. That Villanova three isn't going to carry you alone down this stretch. But ultimately, the Knicks fight, they clawed, and they won a game they absolutely had to win. You cannot lose that game to the Pistons because that's the story. If they lose that game to the Pistons, here's the story about the Knicks. How do they keep their heads above water 
as they wait for these injuries to come back, as they wait for Randall to come back, and who knows how long that's going to be, as they wait for OG Ananobi to come back, and who knows how long that's going to be, or whether they're going to be able to pick up right where they left off the minute they come back. And now this is a Nick team that has aspirations to do damage inside the playoffs, to quote uh, the great Tommy Lugauer. They're supposed to be doing damage. And on a Monday night in the Garden, they found a way not to do damage to themselves. They found a way to fight and claw and make sure they put away a game they absolutely had to put away. Now, Monty Williams is 100% right. I understand him being pissed off. I wouldn't be surprised if they challenge it because it's an atrocious call. If you want, he dives into his legs. I could not believe there was no call. I could not believe it. So it's a tough night for the, oh, yeah, everyone's against the Knicks crowd because the Knicks caught a massive break. But they're not going to be able to catch massive breaks on a nightly basis, and they're going to have to figure something out where they, you know, it can't be a knock them out, drag them out. And that's one night. I get it. They played well against the 76ers, blew out Philadelphia. Okay. You know they're not good enough to beat the, the, the Boston Celtics. We get it. But if you're going to take on the Detroit Pistons, it can't be... You can't be down a point relying on a terrible foul to make sure you don't blow that game. So this Nick team, it's not changing. This is who they are. They continue to fight. They continue to claw. Some of the other guys are going to have to step up, and they're going to have to be able to find some scoring from other places than the villain over three because it's hard to count on it. 877-337-6666. McMonagle here with you on the fan. I got you for the next three hours or so until 5 a.m. in the warm-up show. We'll get into, obviously, you know, you know, the baseball is back, baby. We saw another pitcher on the mound for the Yankees was going to be imperative. Absolutely imperative for this team. We saw some youth with the Mets. I'm still, every day I'm going to say it, go sign Montgomery. Every single day I'm going to say it. The Mets need to go sign Jordan Montgomery. He's talking with the Red Sox. It makes no sense. Go sign him. And Pete Alonso and Saquon Barkley are in similar situations, but I'll tell you why I feel completely indifferent about completely different about them. 877-337-6666. McMonagle here with you on the fan. We'll come back. Take your phone calls all the way to 5 a.m. and the warm-up show right here on the fan. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Manning back, steps up, heaves one down the middle of the field, into the end zone, and Nix makes the catch for the touchdown. He went up with the big hands and caught it on the Hail Mary on the final play of the half. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Oh, hello there. What's going on? 225, McMonagle here with you. Yeah, this this was this was a massive hit. And then, of course, then the family of Marvin Gaye sued for it sounds it does sound a lot like the Marvin Gaye song. I have to be honest. It just does. That Alan uh, that uh, Robin Thick from the Great Thick family, 877-337-6666. When I found out he wrote all all of those theme songs, uh, Alan Thick, he wrote the the the, the theme song the Gro- uh, Growing Pains, I had no idea. Alan Thick, a very talented dude. 877-337-6666. Yes, the Knicks pull out a Knicks pull one out. No doubt about it. Big time win for the Knicks. 113-111 over the Pistons. And Hart was the guy who stepped up today. Hart had a big game, 23 points, eight rebounds, six assists, and obviously the final basket at the end, which the Knicks caught a break and should have never had happened. But you need breaks every once in a while, but it's just, it's a scary proposition. I mean, where they are right now, they're still the four seed inside the NBA, right? So you look at the other teams in the in the conference right now. The 76ers are obviously not the same without Embiid. They're three and seven over their last 10. The Knicks are four and six. Even Milwaukee is five and five over their last 10. Cleveland has obviously been one of the better teams in the conference. They're up to the two seed now, three games ahead of the Knicks. 
And Boston is ten and a half up over Boston, uh, over the Knicks, and seven and a half over Cleveland, and clearly the best team. But other than that, I mean, Milwaukee has just been, you know, obviously since getting Doc Rivers, it's just been a mixed bag. Uh, I'm sure they'll find their stride eventually. You know how good they can be. You know how talented they are. Uh, the 76ers won't be dangerous until Embiid comes back, and if he's back for the playoffs, you understand what they can be. The Miami Heat have proven to be a uh, high-pressure playoff uh, quality team. Uh, the Pacers are talented and give the Knicks problems. Orlando have yet to lose to the Knicks. But ultimately, as they go through this and they can hit the West Coast and hopefully OG's back, they desperately need these guys to recover from injury and get back. Because right now without them, they are struggling. It just hasn't been it hasn't been that it hasn't been the same since OG left. And, you know, DiVincenzo stepped up early. You're gonna get nights where Hart steps up. Achua's been really I mean, he is gonna be the unsung hero of that trade. I mean, Achua, the defensive block he had in this game uh down the stretch late was incredible. I mean, he's just been he's been special for them, what he's been able to do. I mean, a guy who was literally just a throwaway inside the uh, Ananobi trade has been someone who's just been remarkable for them. But they do hold off the Pistons. They are still seated inside uh, the top four. They are a game and a half ahead of the 76ers for the four spot, and they will play tonight against the Pelicans and get a chance to get right back out there and get another big win. And if they can do that and they continue to keep – uh, pace waiting for these injuries. They should be good once they get back together because you should feel like, you know, as long as, again, the injuries have been their arm issues to both players, they should be able to be able to stay in shape and keep their legs. It shouldn't be something that's going to take them too long to get back once they are recovered. And hopefully they go right back into what they were and the, and the you know, Bogdanovich and Burks of the world who came here uh, in that later uh, deadline trade can establish who they need to be for this team moving forward. And we talked about the amount of minutes they play. Like, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough situation the Knicks find themselves in right now. There's no doubt about it. And there's a tough spot that Tibbs finds himself in because you need, you know, everything you can from Brunson and Hart and DiVincenzo, the, obviously the Villanova three, plus all the surrounding pieces of Chua, Hartenstein. Like, you need everything you can get from these guys just to win these games. And these games are imperative. You can't lose to the Pistons. But at the same time, you don't want to run these guys into the ground and then have them, you know, exhausted by the time the reinforcements arrive. And because that's what the strength of this Nick team is. Like, if you think about what this Nick team does, right? And we could talk whether or not Brunson's a superstar, and I think he is, right? Whether he's a top 15 player or he's a top whatever player, it doesn't matter. I think he's a superstar. And I think him and Randall are a, you know, a good duo that hopefully could win an NBA championship. But they're not going to be, no matter who they play, they're not going to be the best players on the floor. On any given game, and I suppose in any given series, but it'd be unlikely to me. But, I mean, you look at it, whoever they play, there are better players on the other other team. So whether Brunson's a superstar or not, now you need him to be one if you want to win. But the thing about this team is their depth. Like, when you look at this team and how they've played and the way they played in January, like, what it's not like, oh, hey, eventually, I know they're struggling right now, but eventually Giannis and Dame will step up and they'll be that dangerous duo that's going to get them through the Eastern Conference or, you know, Tatum and Brown or Tate, you know, that like it's it's it won't be that. They need the entire collective. They need the entire collective. That's what makes them a championship contender. Yes, they need the superstar, but what what makes them special or what makes them think that what makes us feel like this Nick team can win, it's the depth. And if you run that depth into the ground in an effort to beat the Pistons and and the like on a nightly basis, then it's going to be difficult to envision them going all the way if they're, you know, beat up and tired or, you know, are they going to have to be healthy one through nine? 
And they're going to have to figure out a way to have everybody healthy, know in their role, some time to gel together, understand the way you know Tibbs wants to coach it, understands the understand, get you know feel for the rotation, get a feel for playing together, get a feel for the you know Bogdanovich, his minutes are going to get cut, you know all those things are going to happen. He's going to have to get used to it, and that's going to take some time. But hopefully, as soon as OG gets back, and as soon as Randall gets back, and hopefully that's soon, they can start going about that. And hopefully it shouldn't take too long for those two guys to feel good and ready to play. They should be able to keep their legs. It's arm injuries. They should be, you know, in shape and ready to go. So we'll see. They got the Pelicans tonight. And the Knicks go about trying to do this quest as we see the Rangers too, right? We're just starting with the baseball teams and what we think their seasons can be. And we're looking at the Knicks and we're looking at the Rangers to have a 1994 season. Now we we understand the Islanders won a game in overtime last night. The Devils are kicking Frank the tank out of the building. They're struggling over the last handful of games and kind of falling apart here. But those two teams right now, the Knicks and the Rangers, are two teams we have aspiration for in this town of doing something special. You know, I think it's probably too much to ask them both to be in their respective finals, but a run would be nice. Two teams winning playoff series back to, you know, I, I mean, do you remember? Do you even remember that? It's 30 years ago now. This is the 30th anniversary. I mean, that's how long it's been since you really felt like, like really felt like. I know the Knicks have had a couple of playoff runs, right? Last year they won a series. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago they played the they played the Hawks. Uh, obviously, Mello won a series. But when's the last time both on a nightly basis we could be going back and forth Tuesday night Knicks playoff game, Wednesday night Ranger playoff game? Like, I would kill for that. Can you imagine how much fun that's going to be? We need to get there. We need to get there right now. 877-337-6666. So good, good win for the Knicks. They pulled one out. They caught a break, and they made the most of it. They could have missed that. Still could, they didn't have to score off of the non-foul. They still had to go out there and make a play, and Hart was able to do it. But obviously today was also baseball at 1 o'clock. I had the DVR it, obviously. You know my sleep schedule. I'm sleeping at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I did get a text message from Spike about a lovely letter a fan wrote me, and I'll, I'll read you the uh, other. I got one, too. It's always nice to hear from the fans. Like the social media picks. Like it's it's unbelievable too, because you put this stuff. I have a five, I have a you know, a 10-minute discussion about whatever topic I'm talking about. And it gets condensed into a one-line headline for a, you know, a, a story on Twitter or a story on Facebook or whatever. Nobody reads the article. They read the headline, and then they just make assumptions about what I'm saying and just I mean, like, Facebook is vicious. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, like, I was reading some of them just now because I, I went down that rabbit hole because I got a letter, a very lovely letter uh, from someone. I, I believe it was – I left it outside, but the, the, the flock follow the good shepherd, and you are sheep blank. It's an interesting letter. The The – the f- the flock follow the good shepherd and you are sheep s interesting i'm i'm not sure but that's what i got that <laughs> i guess so i guess i am not that good shepherd i try to be i want to be i hope many of you will follow me but we saw I bring it up because we also saw in the Yankee game earlier today a little bit of a a Juan Soto sighting falling in the outfield after diving for a ball. And here's what here's my point with Juan Soto, and this is my only point. And Evan was making it today to uh, Joe's McFly from uh, uh, John Boy Media. Right when you watch that first swing, right that first at bat of his first spring training game, or you watch him make that play in the outfield. And he swings and he falls. It's an awkward swing. He goes down to a knee and it just looks awkward. That is a scary proposition for New York Yankee fans. Not for, you know, not for Juan Soto necessarily. I don't necessarily think he's going to get hurt or that he's going to be living with the fear of getting hurt. I am going to be living with the fear every day. Because unlike Judge, if Judge goes down, we've got seven more years with Aaron Judge. I'm assuming most of them were pretty good. 
I'm not, I'm not, I mean, yeah, it would hurt this season, and this season's an important season. The most important season the Yankees have had in a long time. This 2024 is as important as any season in my lifetime. That's how important it is for this season. Now, you can make the argument 09 was that important, right? They spent all that money in the offseason. They go sign uh, CeCe Sabathia. They sign Mark Teixeira, A.J. Burnett. They trade for Nick Swisher. Uh, they missed the playoffs for the first time in forever in 08 under Joe Girardi. They're heading into the new building in 09. You know, uh, George was obviously at the tail end of it, and they wanted to get one more championship for, for George. So they put all of that money there in a new building. Uh, they wanted to win one more championship before uh, their father passed away. That was That was an important year, 2009. There's no doubt about it. It was an important year for the New York Yankees. This is without question the most important year since, and it might be more important. The drought of championships is longer, or the drought without a championship is longer than it was back then. And 08 still wasn't as ugly as last year. And the vitriol has been built up for the fan base for a long time. And it's harder to win now. In 2009, you spent a half a billion dollars and you felt like, okay, you're going to be the best team. And they were, and they won a championship. You can't guarantee that. San Diego Padres spent a ton of money and brought in everybody. Didn't make the playoffs this year, last year. The Mets had the highest payroll in history, didn't win 80 games. The Dodgers continue to do what they do, lose in the postseason. The best roster in baseball is the Atlanta Braves. They lose in the postseason. It's harder to win than ever. But the vitriol has been built up where this is now the most important year. So, yes, any injury would be devastating. A judge injury, devastating. Cole injury, forget about it. Devastating. But those guys aren't going anywhere. Juan Soto may only be a Yankee for one year. And the opportunity to win with him. And you watch him. You've seen him now. A couple of at-bats. Just a couple of at-bats. You watch him. Watch him take pitches. He's got a home run. He's, he's got a three-run home run. He's got a two-run double in two games. And watch him take pitches. Watch the at-bats. Him and Judge back-to-back are going to be so freaking fun that I'm terrified I won't see it. Terrified. Evan mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I'm worried about that. So to see him go down, even just, you know, not in a heap or anything, but awkwardly on his first swing, or to have an issue in, in, in right field, it reminds me that I'm going to be terrified that Juan Soto is going to get hurt and that they traded away pitching depth as well as, you know, someone who could have absolutely helped this staff. I think there's a chance that you could be talking about Michael King as one of the better pitchers in the National League this year. I think I think something with him clicked in the rotation. He's always wanted to be a starter. I think something clicked down the stretch of the year. I don't think he's going to necessarily win the Cy Young, but he's going to be a solid pitcher. That You can make an argument if he were on the team right now, he would end up being the second-best pitcher in the rotation. So they traded away a young, controllable Michael King, as well as all the pitching depth. All right, yeah, I, I live with the trade. I love the trade. You had to make the trade. But it scares me that if Soto goes down and then ends up in Queens or ends up in L.A. or ends up in Anaheim or ends up in Chicago or I don't know, wherever he may end up. If they do not ever have that judge and Soto come to fruition, it's going to bother me for an eternity. So, yes, I'm not saying Soto's going to get hurt. I am not saying Soto will be worried about being hurt. I'm not saying anything other than I'm going to watch this and in the back of my mind, anytime he takes a full step, anytime there is a tumble, anytime it doesn't look completely smooth the way Juan Soto looks at everything he does, I am going to hold my breath because I will be terrified that even if he misses a month, that's a month deprived of two of the best five hitters in baseball back-to-back making this lineup what it absolutely can be, which should be a devastating lineup. And because you watch him just now, I mean, I can't get enough of it. I watched every one of his bats like three or four times, just watching him take pitches, watching the little bit of the Soto shuffle, 
Uh, it is it is going to be fun, and I'm afraid I'll ne- I'm afraid I'll never see it after what we saw with the with the the Jets, who made a little bit of news themselves as Lincoln, uh, uh Lakin Tomlinson has been released, saving them about eight million dollars in cap space. They've got their own moves to make, but after watching, and, and as uh, the combine starts this week. After watching Aaron Rodgers run out that tunnel with the American flag and the spotlight on 9-11, leading the Jets into a new a new era of Jet football, and to watch that era last four snaps, I don't think you can help but be afraid. I'm afraid. All right, you want to hear it? I'm afraid. Once a talk show host is afraid, that's it. It's over. There is a, what is flying around my face right now? Can you give me something decent? Looks like a moth. Yeah, I don't know what the hell it is, but it just landed right on my face. I know it's hard to miss, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a landing uh, strip, okay? Landed right on my nose in the middle of talking. 877-337-6666. We also saw another important person in Nesta Cortez take the mound. Back-to-back days, if you've watched the Yankees, the first two games, You've seen Carlos Rodon, and you've seen Nesta Cortez as the first two pitchers we've seen this spring, and you could argue two of the most important players on the team this year. Because without question, the biggest question mark and weakest link of this team is the starting rotation. Right? We know. We've been saying it forever. It's Cole, and hopefully everybody stays healthy and pitches well. That's what this rotation is right now. And Carlos Rodon, who was for two years a top-five pitcher in all of baseball, before last year's disaster with the New York Yankees. And Nesta Cortez, who for a year and a half, a little bit more, had been an excellent pitcher with the New York Yankees, an all-star, and someone I feel like you could rely upon to give you a good quality outing as much as Garrett Cole, really. He won't be dominating. But if you told me there's going to be a, a pitcher on the on the Yankee staff Someone's pitching tonight, and he's going to give you, you know, six innings, two runs. I think it's that that performance for a while was almost as likely from Nesta Cortez than it was from Gary Cole. Now, seven innings of one run, thirteen strikeouts. Yeah, that's Cole. But just you know, five and two thirds, two runs, like that. That's just as easily Nesta Cortez as it was Gary Cole. And if those two guys can anchor this rotation and be healthy and be the former versions of themselves. And so far, two for two. I thought he looked good in the game. He had a couple of unlucky breaks, uh, a ground ball that that could have been a double play was botched. And he struck two batters out to get out of that inning without giving up runs. But I thought he looked good. He looked easy. The stuff looked good. And I think you can argue that those two guys, without question, considering how much you feel about right now the offense, and it's a couple days, but you feel how this offense is now balanced, right? Rizzo's looked fairly good, and apparently he's over his concussion issues and feeling great. He laced a double down the line in his first game. We saw Stanton, who I thought hit the ball hard a couple times, but, you know, again, we're just getting started. But you feel like this new lineup, the additions of Soto and Verdugo, are going to balance out this attack, and as long as Judge is healthy and Soto is healthy, this team should score runs. And the weakest part of this team right now with the most question marks is the starting rotation, bar none, bar none. And those two guys in particular, because let's be honest, Clark Schmidt, all right, we'll see what he is. I hope he has a great year, but he's going to be their fifth starter. As long as he's okay and makes you know 25 to 30 starts, you'll live with it. You know what? As long as he's pitching, you have an idea of what Stroman's going to be. It's a matter of staying healthy. You know, he's going to be a 3-5, ERA guy right in the middle of the rotation, feeling okay about it, have good starts, have bad starts, but I don't think he's a difference maker. We Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't know if he's a difference maker the way those two guys are. To me, Rodon and Nesta Cortez, over the last two years prior to last year, had proven to be real difference makers. And if they can stay healthy, and perform back up to that caliber, then now you're talking about a Yankee pitching staff that's actually pretty damn good without Blake Snell, who's not coming here, by the way. 
Those are the two things I apparently have to say every single day. Blake Snell is not going to be a Yankee, and Jordan Montgomery should absolutely be a Met. Those are the two things I'm going to have to say every day. But if you can get those guys into the rotation and pitching like they did the last two years, and then you have Cole, you have Rodon, and you have Nestor as your top three, now you have a rotation that I actually feel pretty damn good about to go along with that offense and then hopefully a bullpen that without a top legit closer in Holmes, he scares me a little bit as the closer, but he's a damn good reliever. They'll figure out the bullpen. And now you're looking at a dominant team. Now you're looking at a team that is all in. Now you're looking at a team that's without question a World Series contender and probably a division winner. If they get those two answers in the affirmative from Nesta Cortez and Carlos Rodon, the first two pitchers we've seen this year. 877-337-6666. Ziggy in Hillsdale. What's up, Ziggy? Hey, how's it going? I'm just calling about Mike Trout uh, and the Angels situation. Okay. What about Mike Trout and the Angels situation? Um, I'm just reading that he can't stay on such a bad team for much longer, and eventually, even though he signed like a 10-year contract, eventually yeah. he will want to go to a winning team, and if it's possible, he'd go to the Yankees. I know the Yankees outfield is filled, but um, mm-hmm. do you think that he could be on the trading block this July? Um, he has come out this spring training and said he doesn't want to get moved. He called it the easy way out and that he wants to win in Anaheim. Uh, I respect that, but I agree with you. I think that will wear thin eventually and he'll want to move on if they get off to another miserable start and there's uh, a chance for him to move on and, and play with a winner. I, and I no longer think the Yankees are a fit right now. If they lose, if they lose Soto at the end of the year, maybe. I was I don't know if you remember I cl- I was clamoring to trade for Mike Trout at the end of last year the beginning of this year before the Juan Soto stuff picked up steam. I know he's right-handed. He's aging and he's hurt. I mean, he's not he's not that old, but I think he's like 30, 31. So he's right in the prime of his career, he's the same age as Judge, really. Um, but he's been hurt a lot over the last couple of years. But when he plays, he's still Mike Trout. He's one he's one of if not the best player in the sport when he's healthy. And if he plays 150 games, he's going to be a monster. I I firmly believe that. Uh, I don't think the Yankees can trade for him now with the money he's making. If Juan Soto goes somewhere else, could I see that being a, a legitimate pivot? I do. I think that could be a legitimate pivot for them. Uh, it probably works out better if Stanton's gone and you can kind of slot him into a, um, a an outfield with the option to DH from time to time just to help him stay healthy because you need him to stay healthy. But I don't know. There's a lot of landing spots. He doesn't consider New York home. I know he's from New Jersey. I think he feels more of a Philly guy, right? He's a, he's a big Eagles fan. Uh, so I could see uh, Philadelphia, who apparently offered Yamamoto more money than the Dodgers, who they could feel they could make room for Trout. That would be a, a, an easy landing spot for him. I think he'd love to go to Philadelphia. But I don't think now with, with this season at the trade deadline, I don't think they'd be looking to make that move. So, no, I do not think Yankees are a good landing spot for Trout right now, Ziggy. Okay. That's it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Thank you. Well, I, what do you I, think? I, I, I wish that they got Bryce Harper at, when they could, but I'm glad they got Juan Soto. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, with that right-hand porch in Yankee Stadium, we, it is good to have a lefty bat. Oh, uh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. They needed some balance. And, again, you know, this is part of my defending of Cashman, which I, you know, I'll do occasionally. I, I I think the 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 lefty thing was overblown a little bit. I understand they play in the short porch, but the Toronto Blue Jays were all right-handed. I don't remember everyone saying, oh, my God, they're too right-handed. They'll never win. And the Yankees found themselves in a situation where they had right-handed players. I don't think Cashman fell in love with right. People think, oh, Cashman loves right-handed hitters. Cashman loves good players. And the best players he had at the time were right-handed, right? When in 2016, when he breaks it all down, he goes to trade pieces. He takes he goes to he takes Chapman. He goes to the Cubs. Hey, you want a closer here to help you win the World Series? Who's your best prospect? If they said it's if they said it was a left-handed hitting outfielder, that's who'd be on the team. It wasn't. It was a right-handed hitting shortstop in Glaber Torres. Okay, one of the crown jewels of all of baseball. Okay, we'll take him. Should they have taken a lesser prospect because he was left-handed? They take uh, Andrew Miller. They go to Cleveland. Who's your best prospect? 
oh, it's a right-handed hitting outfielder, Frazier. Should we? Should Brian Cashman have said, well, who's your second best? Give me your left. Give me your best left-handed hitting prospect, please. I mean, they they called up Aaron Judge, and they called up Greg Bird. Greg Bird flamed out. Aaron Judge became the best player in baseball, so they kept the right-handed hitting one. They needed to replace Greg Bird after injuries and being and miserable, so they they took a chance on a right-handed hitter, Luke Voigt, who then went on to lead the American League in home runs in 2020. They had Andujar who came up. Like it's just like it's the way it happened. Gary Sanchez was right-handed as a catcher. Like it's just the way it happened. I don't think they went into it saying let's all be right-handed and forget being lefty for forever. Who cares? <laughs> we'll do this ass backwards and, and prove it to everyone. I'm smarter than the rest. People actually believe that. People believe Cashman was sitting in his in his in his office somewhere in a soap smoking jacket, sipping a martini, going, I'll prove them all wrong and build a right-handed hitting lineup and win anyway. Like it's just the way it happened. He's had balanced lineups. He's had switch hitters in almost every lineup of his entire career. Brian Cashman has always put a bunch of switch hitters in the middle of the lineup. Always. He didn't he didn't stop liking left-handed bat. He didn't stop liking balance. It's the way it worked out. He didn't think it was worth getting lesser players to be left-handed. But right now, that's over with. They went out and got Juan Soto. They have Verdugo. They have Rizzo. They've got left-handed balance. They've got uh, uh, Trent Grisham coming off the bench, who I think is going to be an important piece of this team. They have a nice, balanced lineup. They have youth. They have veterans. I think I, 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 really, I really like the feel of this lineup. It's going to be the rotation. Val in the Bronx. What's up, Val? Brother Mac, how are you doing this morning, man? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm all right. I've been missing you, but it's good because you're back now. And I know you were doing bigger and better things, so we let it live for a minute. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. Yeah, well, listen, I just, I bigger and better things. I did the midday for one day, and I'll do the midday again Friday. So all right. I'll be, all right. I'll so be with a, Sal on Friday. You had a good week. I had a good week. Um, <laughs> Um, I wanted to just bring out something if I can. Sure. And I think it's something that that that's that doesn't seem to like nobody's. I don't think anybody's really talking about it. And the first thing, I, first time it got mentioned was a conversation I was having with. Uh, I, I like to call him Doctor E Man now because he brought some things to my attention, and I actually tried to extrapolate a little bit and go a little bit further, even beyond that. He got onto a topic where he was talking about some of the guys that were in contract years. Yeah. And you talking know, about Emmanuel we, Babari? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Oh, Babari. Okay. We've all been conditioned now, and rightfully so, to appreciate and understand the value of a contract here. There's something about it in baseball that's just really magical. These guys, all of a sudden, all the things that they couldn't do, you know, and I don't know if it's, it's really like getting too far carried away with what happened with Judge yeah. in his contract here or what happened. But I, I've seen it happen too many times, you know, before. Yeah. If you really look at it, apart from Judge and Cole, who are going to do what they do regardless, unless something goes wrong, right? You know, those guys are—they—they're they're really not much that they need to motivate them. They're going to shove regardless, right? Every everybody else in that squad, okay, is either somebody that's on a contract year, or is somebody who has something to prove. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I—I I think if you really like, the more I started thinking about it, the more I even extrapolated it, as I said, to for the whole team. You really get, I almost feel like this is one of the hungriest Yankee teams that we've actually sent out or will be sending out in a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, from, from Glaber to, you know, even Rizzo's on the option year. Yep. DJ has something to prove to himself and to the league. Um, Stanton has something to prove to himself and to the league. Yep. The same pitching staff that we have questions about, apart from Cole, all of those guys are guys that, you know, Nesta needs to do things to shape the rest of his career moving forward. Right. Rodon needs to remind people of who he is. Yeah. Like, it, well, there's almost a certain synergy that's there right now that, no, that's actually like an intangible well, that's going to yeah. help us. Oh, I, well, listen, Val, that, that's, the flip, that's the flip side of the question mark coin. I mean, that's, and thank you for the call. That's what you get. That's the two sides of the coin. I agree with you. When you have question marks, like everyone says, oh, the rotation's filled with question marks. Totally true. But the flip side of the coin is you have motivated guys to answer those questions. I mean, that they it comes hand in hand. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked about, I've talked about a lot, that 2024 is a huge year and is up in the air because of how many different guys. I remember I you mentioned I was on with BT. I talked about this specifically with him on that on that midday show about how the Yankees have so many guys 
who are on a contract year or their last year. I don't know if you'd Rizzo would consider this a contract year. I mean, I guess it's the last year of his contract with the Yankees. But guys who aren't under contract with the New York Yankees next year. And I focused on that angle on how they go about building and why they should be all in because next year is so up in the air. But, yeah, you're right. You've got guys who are looking to prove themselves, right? Soto clearly looking to make one of the bigger contracts in the history of the sport at 25, 26 years old. So he's on a contract year. Glaber Torres on a contract year. Clay Holmes on a contract year. Um, uh, Canely in the bullpen on a contract year. Uh, a lot of guys on a contract year. No, no doubt about it. Rizzo, as we mentioned, on a contact on a contract year. Verdugo on a contract year. I mean, ha- I mean, look at just the lineup right there. Before I even mention Canely and Holmes in the bullpen, Rizzo, Soto, Verdugo, Glaber Torres. Four out of five right there are on contract years. Four out of five. So, yeah. Yeah. I look at it more of like the Yankees need to win now because I don't know the future. But if you look at the actual win now part of it and look at this Yankee team, yeah. You have a bunch of guys looking to either earn themselves a career or whether to answer questions about who they are. Then you mentioned the Stanton, who clearly is motivated. I think D.J. LeMahieu, same thing. So, I mean, yeah, you. I think it is for the making of one of the more hungry Yankee teams. And, and you know, Hal Steinbrenner talked about that when he spoke to the media, that their mindset's different, that you know, he, was, he was happily surprised with the amount of guys who showed up and how early they showed up to Tampa and started working. And that was kind of, I think Judge had a lot to do with that. As, uh, you know, Boone has said, that Judge was really the guy. He lives in Tampa. He's like, let's all get down here and work out. I mean, even guy like Volpe, right? There's another guy who's got something to prove. Volpe with 200 had an OP had a on base percentage under 300 as a rookie. Sure, he won the Gold Glove 2020, 20 stolen bases, 20 home runs, very nice. Can't hit 200 and be the Yankee shortstop. So he's got something to prove in his second year. There's a lot of guys who have things to prove. There's a lot of guys looking to make money and have a contract season. So yeah, that is true. It should help. I do believe that. But for me, when I look at that, I think, well, how do the Yankees build moving forward? Right, That's more of the take I get from it. We'll see how motivated they are and if it can win. But it's all this year. Like That's why, as much as I know they're not going to do it, why I wish they would go sign Snell. Or why I wish they would make that one more move to get another pitcher. Because you might have a ton of money coming off the books next year. And who knows what this team's going to look like. I'd like to win now. 877-337-6666. All right, one hour down, two more to go. McMonigle here with you on the fan. Got you till the warm-up show at 5 a.m.